0: that we use often around here, uh, and I actually got to preach on this a few uh, months back, is changed lives live changed lives. It's a real simple phrase, but I, I hope that you get the gravity of it. Changed lives. If my life has been changed, then I am now necessarily going to live differently. And really, our Church Reset series, Unlearning Christianity in Order to Follow Christ, has Uh, had a prerequisite of your life has been changed by Christ because only does personal devotion to God and his word make sense if Jesus has truly changed your life. Only if I have surrendered to Jesus would I ever commit to a vulnerable and honest community where not only do I have friends but I have people that carry me to Jesus and I share and confess and admit things. Only Because Jesus has so worked in me and through me and around me, would I ever sing in a congregation publicly? Would I ever live my life as a living sacrifice in worship of him? Only does this make sense if Jesus has changed my life. And today, as we move into our fourth um, instance of this church reset, we have the idea of service. Service and becoming a servant of all only makes sense if your life has been changed. Changed lives, live changed lives. The old is gone, the new has come, and this is how we are to live. So I'm going to read, starting in Acts chapter 2, as we have been. I'm going to go back a little bit this time and go into verse 37 to start. We're going to be understanding who is These people that are devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, it says in verse 37, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now, this is responding to a sermon by Peter in which he has carefully and uh, convincingly shared the gospel and what it is, and that life can be changed through Christ. They say, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. How do I respond to the gospel? What do I do when I learn that this is truth and this is good and this can change my life? How do I respond? I repent. I turn from the ways in which I normally live that I want to live from the worldly ways and the fleshly ways, and I then change, and I now have an orientation of following Jesus at every step along the way. I repent, turning from and turning to Jesus. And then I am baptized, declaring to everyone who will see and who will listen that I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit. It says, dropping down to 41, so those who received his words, word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the church is growing And so these are the people who, in verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through them. 44 and 45 are where we're focusing today. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. How does the church respond? How do we begin to live when Jesus has invaded our life and he has changed how we live? The three points I have are very simple this morning. You are called to serve, you are called to sacrifice, and you are called to selflessness. So we're going to start in serve. We are called to serve. When I say the word serve, unfortunately, many of us have a uh, misunderstanding of it. If I said hey, Max, when did the last time you served? He he may tell me, well, in high school, I was in this organization where I had to get so many hours so then I could get this cool cord to wear around me, and I didn't even have graduation, but it was cool because I got it for $10. We served and did so many hours in a hospital or at this children's club, and, and we achieved the goal that we had to do. Or you may go, well, with my church we serve. And see, we went to this other side of town where the people are less well-off than us, and so us, the well-to-do, went and helped the impoverished people. I don't really remember the person's name, but I I know I served. Or maybe we fly across the country or across the world to go to a a poor country, and we, we, we serve these people by painting their orphanage or by hugging some kids, and And all those things are really good, but I think what we're missing is that service is about who we are every day, and then we do those things in addition to that. What I don't understand is why I can have 30 people decide to fly to New York with me, but I can't get three to sign up to serve in our food pantry every Monday. I don't know why we are so quick to go across the globe, but we're so hesitant to go across the street. I think we like to serve in these uh, fun environments where we can get good Instagram pictures, but we don't want to be consistently serving in places that it's going to cost me every single week. But when you look at the early church, how are they serving those around them? Not somebody far off, not somebody they're going to leave in a week, not somebody they had to take a plane to go and see. This is somebody they walk by every single day, somebody's name they know. Yet how many times do we just... Walk on. Do you remember the story of this lawyer who comes to Jesus? It's in Luke chapter 10. This guy comes to Jesus, and he's like you around finals time. What do I need to do to verify I'm going to get the grade that I want, right? Like, I really want to be, so if I make a 62 on this test, then I'll make sure I get a B. If I make a 74, then I can get an A, and if I make a 26, I'll pass, right? You've been there. And so, this guy comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to make sure I've got eternal life? I want to make sure I'm secured. And Jesus says, well, what's the law command? He says, well, you know, you're just to love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes, but hang on, I don't remember how much this test was worth. Will you just verify that if I get a 20 on it that I'm okay? He goes, hey, will you just tell me uh, who my neighbor is so I can stop having to feel guilty about not helping other people, and I can simplify who I'm supposed to serve. Jesus doesn't give a a clean answer. Instead, he tells a story. He tells a story of a man that was beaten, left for dead on the side of the road as he was robbed. This man's laying there about to die, and then a priest comes by, the man of God, the man who teaches and shows and leads and sacrifices. And what does this man of God do? He passes by on the other side. Then a Levite comes. He is the man that is, his family has upheld the law. They have been in the temple service. He is highly esteemed and looked up to because of his devoutness for God. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side. But who is it that stops? It's the Samaritan. Remember the one with faulty theology? Who doesn't worship the right way, and yet he follows and is faithful to the Word of God correctly. See, the faulty theology we can all get upset and go, well, don't go to his church, and yet he's the one following the commands. He bends down, he binds the wound, he puts him on his donkey, he carries him into an inn, he takes care of his needs in that moment, he says, I will take care of whatever he needs after that moment, because I want to care for my neighbor who I just met. Students, we are called to serve those around us. 1 John 3, 18, a verse you need to know, you need to commit to memory. It says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're not to be the priest and the Levite who just says, I'm going to walk on this side, but I'll kind of throw a prayer out for you. No, we are to love in deed. It's why there's a quote out there that says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Why? Because your Christians don't look much like your Christ. Students, I fear that we want to look holy, but never live holy. We want everybody to think we're holy, Read Matthew 23, you'll see all sorts of the Pharisees doing that. We want to clean the outside of the cup, we want to wash the tomb on the outside, but inside is dead bones, and inside is filthiness. We want to look holy, but not live holy. Service is about living holy, serving our friends, our neighbors, the needy, the hurting, the helpless, those around us. So last weekend was Labor Day. Unfortunately, y'all didn't get it off. Uh, I did, it was nice. Uh... And I realized how old I was because on Labor Day weekend, we got new appliances, and we installed them. We, I smoked a Boston butt, and I was proud of that, and I cut the grass. And on Monday evening, as we were sitting down on the couch, unwinding from the weekend, ready to go to the week, Carlin looks over me and says, man, we had a good weekend, didn't we? Nothing was fun about it, you know, like cutting the grass, but you're kind of old at that point. Um, now, you may look at me and go, wow, that is a an example of manliness, and ability, um, and just competency, um, I, you know, but in humility, I want to admit to you that I am not uh, the most skilled or proficient in things around the house, um, there's a lot of good enoughs around our house, like our sinks don't work, our, our hot water in our shower, you have to turn it all the way to cold to get it hot, and hot, it's, it's all messed up, it's just a mess around my house, so when we were getting new appliances, Carlin said, don't you think you should probably ask somebody to help you install that? Because I don't want you blowing up the house. My pride wouldn't let me ask, but I called my friend Marty. He's sitting in there with a the white mask, and I called him. I said, hey, I need you to help me pick it up. If I'm being honest, I kind of knew he was going to help me and because that's just kind of who Marty is. You have those friends, right? I hope you have those friends. Marty comes over, and we take the oven out, and of course he gets the heavy end, so I get the light in every time, and We carry it in, and as I'm, like, kind of going to go to do it, he just jumps back there and starts installing it. We go to Lowe's, we come back. And then I'm letting Marty leave, right? We're walking out to his car, and he sees that we have a microwave that we have to install, and he knows that a microwave's not easy. So I've got and she's about to pick it up. He goes, no, move, I'll get it. I said, Marty, like, I'll figure it out. Okay, okay, well, we'll just go do it real fast. And then I looked at Marty, and I said, Marty, you don't have to do this. And he said, I know I don't. In that moment, he was choosing to serve, not required, because he wanted to help me out, the helpless. He he was going, yeah, I have a skill here. I have experience with this. I'm going to do it better than you could. I want to make you happy. I want to make your wife happy. I want to make your family be able to have microwave foods. Like, I know I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to. Who do you choose to serve? Is there anybody? Is there a roommate that you go, yeah, I should probably do a lot more serving them? Is there a friend from home that you've kind of ignored because, yeah, they're more of a a leech. They kind of drain you. Who, Who are you ignoring service to? Who's helpless? Who's needy around you? Who needs a friend that you've just been ignoring? We're called to serve. We're called to sacrifice as well. Marty, to come over on that Saturday, had to sacrifice time on his Saturday away. He had to sacrifice time with his wife and kid, who were a lot of fun. He had to sacrifice his rest that he could have just been laying on the couch. It was his birthday weekend as well, and yet he chose to sacrifice those things. Flip another page to Acts 4. Starting in verse 32, we see that the early church was sacrificial. Acts four thirty-two. it says um, something very similar to what we've already read. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them were theirs. But they had everything in common. Drop down 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were landowners and houses. They sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What's going on there? As the people who had things, who had been blessed by God. They did not hoard their blessings, but they shared them. And they said, I've been blessed by God to be a blessing to those in my community that need me. Do we view the blessings that we have received as ways for us to bless others? Sacrifices were made. They had to sell houses. They had to sell land that they could have gained wealth from, And what did they do? They laid it at the apostles' feet and said, Do as you please. I am here sacrificing for the sake of my community, for those around me. If you remember the story in Matthew 19 of the rich young ruler, this is what he couldn't do. He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. Will you tell me what I can do to get eternal life? Another same question. And Jesus says, Have you done all the commandments? Yeah, I've done them all. What else do I need to do? And he says this. He says, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And remember what the rich man does? He walks away sad. Why? Because he had a lot. And he was unable to give up his luxury, his comfort, his stability for the sake of following Christ. Jesus will go on to say, it is harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I mean, no, it's harder for you, the rich, to come into the kingdom of God than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And I want to burst your bubble whether you drive what you think is an old clunky car or whether you drive a new one, whether you are here on scholarship or student loans, you are rich in the eyes of the world because you get three hots in a cot every day at least, right? Like you have food and a bed to sleep in and a roof over your head, and your needs are met. He, the rich young ruler walks away, and how often do we walk away? Jesus tells the story of a woman, Mark chapter 12. Jesus is sitting down and he's watching the offering plate. This one guy comes up and he gives this huge sum of money. He announces it so all can see he wanted his sacrifice seen. He wanted his generosity commended. He wants a plaque or at least to be named after something in the temple. He gives this great gift. And then this woman comes and her, uh, her offering wouldn't even make a dent in the final summation And yet, what does Jesus say? Verse 44, it's on the screen. For for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything she had, all that she had to live on. This is sacrifice. Here's what we think following Jesus is about. It's just something we add on, right? It's just a a comfortable thing. But to follow Jesus is to sacrifice. What does that mean? We're going to miss what we give up. Like, I wish I had that. I wish at times, as we try to pay off things, I wish that I had the amount that I give to the church. It would sure help the dollar go a lot further. I miss the time that I give up when a student says, hey, I need to meet. Yeah, I really want time with family on Friday, but I'm willing to sacrifice this because I want to be there for you. What ways are you sacrificing for the sake of Christ, not just following while it's easy? Are you sacrificial with your money? You may not have a lot, but that didn't matter. Mark 12, 44. It doesn't matter how much you got, are you sacrificial with it? Are you sacrificial with your time? Or do you hoard that? Do you keep that sacred to yourself? How are you sacrificial? Are you sacrificial in your following of Jesus, saying, yeah, I will take, I will bow down my will to yours? Or do you say, as long as, Jesus, you're willing to align with what I want, then I can follow you? Are you sacrificial? The final one is this you're called to be selfless there's a really scary story Acts 5 1-10 through 10. I'm not going to read it all I'm just going to retell it Ananias and Sapphira they sell their field and then it says they put a little bit in their pocket for security stability comfort and they carry the rest to Peter and Ananias goes first and he carries this money and he says Peter here's what we sold aren't you so proud of us take our money Peter says, is this all it was sold for? And I say, yeah, 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 this is it. Knowing that he's got the little bit in his back pocket. He falls dead. Like, serious. Then his wife comes up. And Peter asks her, says, Sapphira, is this what y'all sold the field for? Absolutely, Peter. This is exactly what happened. He goes, why is your selfishness coming out? Why are you holding back? Why are you lying in this moment? And again, she falls dead. See, we are so prone to selfishness. We want to serve when it's comfortable. We want to sacrifice what doesn't hurt. We want to be selfish in what we do. But Paul says, Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, We don't serve so that we can advance our name or enhance our resume. We don't serve in order to earn God's favor or others' favor. We don't do it for the credit, for the glory, for the gold star, for the affirmation, the exaltation, to impress anyone. We serve out of a heart that has been changed, that we have an overflow and a desire for generosity. We take on the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 says that we humble ourselves to the point of death, even death on the cross. We live as Christ lived because he has changed our life. One of my favorite stories is this of a lady named Linda Grant. Raise your hand if you've ever received chocolate chip cookies from us in any of your years. The reason you receive those is Linda Grant. Linda Grant is a lady that goes to our church. I had never met her. She called me uh, a few years back. She said, hey, I'm Linda Grant. You don't know me, and I didn't. She said, "Um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I was a nurse through my career, and my husband, I think, has passed away. and, um, And Since then, I've been diagnosed with cancer. She said, the chemo and the medicines that I go through just take a real toll on my body. I am fatigued all the time where I can't really get out. I can't really do a lot of things. I'm kind of stuck and homebound. But she said that's a double-edged sword because I'm fatigued all the time, but I can't sleep. I have restlessness. And then she perked up and she said, but I can bake. And then she proceeded to tell me that every week she bakes trays and trays and trays of cookies that she sends to nonprofits and to ministries and to churches and to people all around town Because she says, this is what I can do. See, in a time where it would have made perfect sense for her to be selfish, right? Hey, will you just send some college students over to clean my house? Hey, I'm struggling with this. Will you send somebody over to take care of my yard? Will you send somebody to do this for me? Will you go get my groceries? In a time where it would have made sense for her to be selfish, she says, no, I'm choosing to be selfless, and so I'm doing what I can do for the sake of the kingdom to help somebody get connected. And there are stories of you in this room that go, wow, that visit with the chocolate chip cookies, showed me that I was seen, that I was known, that I was cared about, that, that this could be a place where I could get plugged in. That conversation I had with a student, or that time Jordan showed up and said, hey, or whoever it was. And, and so this story, Linda Grant doesn't make all the cookies. No, Claire and Mia and many more have made tons and tons of cookies. Why? Because they feel like this is an opportunity to serve, and they're choosing, no, I want to give up my Sunday afternoon in order to make a cookie because I have hopes that it will help somebody connect. Doing what they can. You are called to serve. You are called to sacrifice. You are called to selflessness. So this brings me to the action steps of today. Our expectation, I always do expectations and promises, right? Our expectation is that you consistently serve. Not that you check off a box and you go once a year with us on a plane to go to Toronto or to D.C. or to New York and you go, well, I served. To consistently, regularly serve. You have been uniquely gifted and uniquely placed in this town to do what only you can do. Are you willing to say yes? So, I have four ways I want you to consider how you could be serving. First, what are your gifts? We sent out a spiritual gift survey that we hope you took. Your small group leader probably shared it with you. If not, you'll be getting it in emails and all that again. Where have you been uniquely gifted? Is it, is it through prayer, through teaching? Is it uh, in musical ability or in hospitality? Are you a great listener? Are you a good counselor? Do you exhort people to be better? What are your gifts, and how are you using them? To deny that you are gifted is to deny that God is a good creator. So I don't want to hear, I'm not gifted. Yeah, your gift may not be as visible as theirs, or they may even be good at it, but it doesn't deny that you have a gift. Will you use it? Second, what needs exist around you? Yeah, there are some people that are really good at taking out the trash, right? Like Ethan, where's Ethan? He's a professional at it, right? We pay him to do it. But but sometimes I will even take people who aren't professionals to take out the trash, right? Sometimes needs exist. But when you see a need, do you walk by on the other side and then justify why you do not act? Or do you see a need and do you meet it? What needs exist around you? You may not be the best at calculus, but if you're better than your roommate, why don't you help them out? What needs exist around you? What about your passions? This doesn't mean that you're the best at this, but sometimes your desire and your uh, passion for it make up for your experience in it. So what are your passions? What? Is it an issue? Is it a people group? Is it a site, of town? Is it a forgotten demographic? Is it students from another country? Is it uh, women stuck in sex trafficking? Is it uh, kids stuck in poverty? What are your passions that you need to be finding ways to, to utilize those? Finally, what's some past experience that you have? If you in your previous youth ministry were worship leader or the pro-presenter person or the soundboard person, those are experiences we would love for you to utilize. Do you, do you have experience with graphic design or taking pictures or baking cookies? What are your experiences, teaching, whatever it is, how can we utilize those experiences? Because here's our promise. We want to, we promise to enable you to use your gifts, your passions, and your interests for the world's good and for God's glory, we promise to enable you to send you out to use your gifts, your passions, and your interests for God's glory and for the world's good. Oh man, I forgot to give this on the slide. Darn it! There's a there's a picture I meant to show you. It's of uh, from a letter I got from a girl named Natalie Lair. Natalie's in the sixth grade. And I walked into my office one day, and there was a Ziploc bag of cookies and a note on it. You could tell it was from a little girl, or a kid, I guess. And it said, to Jordan, from Natalie Lair. And then underneath it, it said this, here are some cookies for you to try. I would love to make you more for your college students. Natalie Lair is a sixth grader, who every week comes up here, and she goes into that library over there, and he organizes books. To serve our church. Natalie Lair loves to bake cookies. But her mom says, no, we can't just eat cookies all the time. And so then she hears that we give out cookies to students that come. Because it's a way for us to connect. She says, I want to use what I can do as an 11-year-old girl to serve these college students. Students, I hope you see this is how the body is supposed to work. Because then... You know who led worship for Natalie Lair over the, her camp this summer? Cooper May, a college student that received cookies. You know who maybe teaches her Sunday school? It is uh, an Andrew Boosky who served in second grade Sunday school for a few years. You know who then teaches her brother in youth ministry? A Lauren Will- or not Lauren because she's a girl and she does with the girls, but you get it, right? Like, it's the way this thing works. We find what we can do for the sake of the body, and we do it. Using our gifts and our talents and our passions for God's glory and for the world's good. We expect you to serve. Will you look around and find those around you who you can serve? Will you be sacrificial with your time, your talents, and your money? And will you be selfless with that? Let me pray.